What's up, everybody? This is the Madness Continues Podcast. This is Brendan, uh, your host. You know that. All three of you listening to this program actually do understand that. Uh, the audio is going to sound weird versus my normal, and it's because I've been on the road and I wasn't able to bring all my equipment with me. Um, I'm here in New York, and I just met today Ray Dalio, who is the most successful hedge fund manager there's ever been. He wrote a book called Principles, which I've been reading, which is amazing. I uh, hung out with James Altucher as well. And I hung out with Bill Batit, who many of you guys know from either the stand-up scene or uh, my um, Facebook. <laughs> or you know him from uh, Cora as well, because a, a lot of you guys came here from Cora. So I've got Bill here, and we're going to just have a conversation, sort of free-willing about a whole bunch of different things, and uh, we're going to pick up all kinds of bad audio from the background, but I think that's where we're going to start it. Bill, why don't you say hello to everybody? Yo, what up, what up, what up? This is the lazy... Oh, wait, not my... Uh, this is My name is Bill Petit. Um, I'm a stand-up comic. I have a Juris Doctorate degree. I'm Cora Famous, you know what I'm saying? 60K followers. 30... <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool, famous dog. Yeah, you know. Um, this is like what happened. Bill starts. He'll just if as soon as he can grab the attention, he'll start just. Yeah, dude. I'm just. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just so great. I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> I got like sixty thousand whatever followers. <laughs> yeah, you know it's no big deal though. I'm kind of a big deal, you know. Oh <laughs> uh, no. Um. Yeah, and then um. You know, I'm just modern day philosopher. Uh, probably God Emperor. <laughs> Probably the humblest person I know. Probably the most modest person I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's uh, honestly that's how they me- measure modesty, right? Is how modest you would say you are on a modesty. Exam. Uh, I don't think it's picking up anything you're saying, man. Oh, like, turning and facing this guy. Uh, yeah, I thought, sorry, I thought you had a, a good iPhone. Oh, my bad. Um, <laughs> that you weren't working with inferior equipment. That's all. <laughs> cool. Uh, I think definitely rule number one is insult the podcast you're on when you're on it. I think that's definitely. You know, Bill's the author of a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. You might have heard about it. Yeah, I, I wrote it. He wrote it, um, and it just says, Don't be me, is the opening. <laughs> oh, man. Every time Bill and I hang out, all it is is like one constant frame battle. Yeah, man. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm tired of winning, which is why I have to go away. <laughs> You see him laughing at these lies. <laughs> um, what I wanted to here's what I wanted to talk to you about, Bill. Actually, uh, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about on this podcast. But one of the things I want to talk to you about is, you know, Bill's been a big influence in a lot of people's lives. And genuinely, one of the things you say a lot is that everybody who comes into contact with you's lives get better. And I think that that's true. I really think that that's true. Um, with the exception of the girl who you got pregnant and killed herself, that's, <laughs> that's maybe the one exception to that rule. <laughs> oh, and also, I think also maybe your family. <laughs> uh, oh my God! No, I'm t- I'm just kidding. All that none of those none of those things are true. What I just said, but uh, with the exception that people do actually, everybody who comes into contact with you does do better. I part of the reason I like spending time with you is that. I think that I, I feel better. I feel more motivated. I feel more grounded. I think that you have a you present the kind of intellectual challenge that causes someone to focus on what they believe and really ask themselves a question and get grounded. 
Um, I think that that's true. And I wonder, you know, one of the things just to begin this off specifically is that, you know, you started writing on Corda about a, a little over a year ago mm-hmm. and have had a huge explosion. Like you said, Cora famous 60,000 followers, millions and millions of reads. Um, and I, I, I was inspired to obviously follow that. And it's, and it's interesting to see where the rabbit hole has gone because here we are a year later, we couldn't even anticipate that we would be meeting one of the most successful, you know, philosopher investors that there's ever been. Uh, that wasn't even per, a, a thought that we could have had last year. And here we are. And I think the thing that I wanted to ask you is what is your, what is your method? What is the way you think about approaching new challenges? Because you obviously have a system that has worked and is continuing to work. Yeah. So basically what I do, thank you for all those compliments, uh, Brendan, you can remove my penis from your mouth. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know it was there. It's so small. <laughs> I wasn't even aware that there was anything there. I thought, for a second, I thought I had a fly on my... It was just something little and black. And... <laughs> Bill's losing his mind over here. Oh, man, this is what I needed, man. I'm so, I'm so good at making other people laugh. It's good whenever somebody can make me laugh. <laughs> saying things that aren't true. Cool, man. Don't, don't don't break an arm jerking yourself off over there. Oh man, but um, I thank you for all those compliments. Um, I appreciate you. And um, is it picking me up? Yeah, it's. I think it's got you. Is it, is it getting me? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um. Yeah. So basically, um, one of the things that I think that I do before I do something is I look at what I actually want. I don't look at the symptoms of what I want. I look for exactly what I want. What do you mean the symptoms of what you want? So a lot of people, they want to be a stand-up comic, right? And um, the thing is, is that they want to be a stand-up comic, but they don't really understand what kind of comedy, not, not kind of comedy, like the genre, but kind of com- like comedian life they want to live, right? They have this vague idea. And so because they have this vague idea, they'll trace, chase things like symptoms. They're like, oh, in order to be famous, what I got to do is I got to do all these clubs, Right, I got a, a club. Doing clubs is a symptom of success. Successful people do them, but they're not the causes of the person's success. And it's important to distinguish the symptoms from the actual cause because it could catch you chasing smoke. So what I look for is basically the most. Um, I look for what is actually causing this person's success. What is actually causing the value? That, basically, what is actually causing what. I want to happen, happen in this life, I look at what actually caused the success, right? Because a lot of people will try to like distill it down to like, oh, they were so good that like all of a sudden that the universe recognized them. But there's so many stories of people who were fantastic that didn't make it or, or, or didn't live the life that they want. Yeah. So I look at number one first is what I actually want to distinguishing symptoms from the causes of success. And then three, I look at stability. How do I achieve a stability in this realm? Right. And so, like, for example, for stand up, a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, like I'm going to pursue like getting a late night spot. But like to me, I see a late night spot as a blip. And if you parlay, it can go up faster. But that's still waiting on a lot of other people to give you access. Meanwhile, if you build an audience, things happen on your terms. Like this entire situation was basically brought about from Quora. 
you know, James started following me on Quora. I emailed him on Quora. Um, I emailed one person a day I didn't think I could get a meeting with. And we I got on his podcast. He came on my podcast. We ended up really hitting it off. And then it just kept building from there. This wouldn't have been possible if James had only... James met me on a platform where I, at the time, had like 45 or 50,000 followers, right? And so that led to him taking me more seriously as a candidate. One of the reasons why I like that we have a show at Laugh Factory, Young Hustle Show, which James is going to do in a couple um, next week, is, is the fact of the Laugh Factory brand name. I never looked at the Laugh Factory as the end game. I looked at it as something to parlay for other things because yep. it was a symbol of importance. It's funny because I remember we had that meeting that I was just talking about. We were met last. We had a meeting last year and talked about goals, and that was one of the things was emailing people you didn't think you could get a meeting with and asking for a meeting. And it's amazing how that's, in fact, like really turned into, that actually has turned into more shit. Um I just want to drop back a couple, uh, into a couple things because I, you're talking about one thing is you know Tony Robbins has this principle where he says it's not what you can do it's what you can do consistently mm-hmm. and I think that that's something I keep trying to remember for myself that like habit building and building things around the space uh, building habits around when I say the space I mean Cora around putting content out in the world around doing things regularly like asking for meetings I think is huge and then the to, and then to back up even further we're talking about the difference between somebody when you're saying you know Ray Dalio talks about this in his book too is that you want to distinguish between first and second and third order consequences or outcomes so somebody who wants to look good uh from working out can have a few different ways to do that you know and there's these people online who sometimes you see who inject themselves with like Synthol. Yeah, or like, yeah, mineral oils and things like this in order to achieve the look of having exercised without actually having done any of it. And they fucking, they look, first of all, they look like idiots and because they are idiots. But like, they've achieved a kind of a look without any actual work toward it. And they're missing because they're going after the first order consequence. They're missing the second and third order consequences, which is actually being healthy and then of course looking actually healthy because you're actually healthy mm-hmm. and then i think also they're missing out on all of the discipline and the rewards that come from the lessons learned mm-hmm. doing those kinds of things and and as a and you're someone who's come from a, the world of bodybuilding actually mm-hmm. so you actually know about that yeah and a hundred percent is well this is the thing is i think the look is what motivates is is what grabs the most people right and then it's a massive filtering process of who's actually going to do this for real. And then you, what you end up doing is, like, I love, Elliot Hulse says, this is not what you get, it's who you become. Like, I'm going to tell you, you know, I have a nice body and everything like that. It, it has not garnered me the rewards that I thought it would with girls. Like, and, and that's okay. Like, the thing is, because by when you get deep enough into it, you realize it was never really even about them. Because the entire journey of bodybuilding is not for the world to accept you, even though that's what you start off with. It's for you to accept yourself. And you can only accept yourself by continually basically working on yourself and um, getting rid of boredom through growth. And um, I think bodybuilding is one of the greatest avenues for that. And I think it's sad that a lot of people obsess so much about that physical component when they don't really realize it's really the dude you are afterwards. I think that, you know, this is just fascinating because just to draw back again to the fact that, like, we just met Ray Dalio today and watched him, you know, listen to him give a talk with... um, a guy who's, you know, your friend, and I guess now my friend, James Altucher. Um, it was just so fascinating because this is exactly kind of one of the things that he says. I mean, if he's to be believed in 
the way that he speaks about it, you know, his wealth is sort of a second or third order result of the fact that he has a really good process and system for decision making and for really getting his values straight. That like he's somebody who, you know, really enjoys learning and really enjoys seeing how things connect and really has a fascination with 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 the way things work together. And it's clear from the way he talks about the markets that he has a deep love of, of understanding them and of, of seeing how everything works together. And I think that it's just so fascinating to hear him kind of go through this because this is exactly the similar sort of thing to what you're what you're talking about basically is that these this core this core value is something that a two, one or two orders out results in something that we see at the surface level that you know driving a Ferrari is a second or third order result of having wealth which is having strong values uh sort of in the marketplace and are in the science of like of, of making and accumulating money, which is a result of creating value. Yeah, it's basically comes down to this is not what you can show, it's what it implies. Right? Like one of one of the things is and this goes back to what I'm talking about is don't chase don't 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 build your, your strategy around symptoms is because if you if you're chasing the Ferrari Which is exactly Ray's strategy as well, which is get to root causes. Root causes and then from there you, you build out could you um, it, it's um, yeah because whenever um, w- w- that's one of the biggest things the other thing is I don't obsess over the plan and I don't obsess over doing it correctly if you read a lot of my t- core answers they're filled with grammar errors um, they're pretty shoddily done I what I care about more about is doing the thing and then refining when I care a lot of people lose initial momentum trying to be perfect from the beginning yet your your, your concept of perfect is, is it can't even um it can't even happen um, whenever you are initially starting out. You know, um, like, the the perfect set for a person who is doing their first-time comedy is still going to suck. and Or in any venture. So just get out there and do the thing. I think that's huge. I was always... I feel like my life started changing when I started having this principle of it's better to do the thing than not do the thing. Yep. Um, well, I want to talk about... So we, um, you know, one of the things that came up today and that Ray talks about a lot is the learning the lesson through the failure and encountering like a lot of challenge. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this because one of the things that I think stand-up comedy is good at is getting you into the cycle of trying things out, experiencing the pain of them not working, <laughs> and then sort of refining them. And I want to get your thoughts on how that's how that has you've how that has informed the way that you've approached doing Cora, doing your podcast, what you just this what you just described in terms of doing the thing first rather than doing it right. And then um, I want to get a sense for how you incorporate that into your life now in New York and and uh, and and how it informs sort of your your process in general. So basically, one of the things that stand up did was it basically. So I had a self that was uh, identity that was perfectly functional, and I would say was pretty good at that point. And what it did was it completely destroyed all my self esteem. <laughs> well, there wasn't a lot there to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this the other day in chat. Um, like, like uh, Josh was like, "Dude, what do we, what did you do to get that lean and stuff?" And I like was going over my routine and what I ate and everything like that. And I was like, "Dude." 
I must have really hated myself. Yeah, you were like, in so I, much energy. Yeah, if I was like, I was, if, if I wasn't so tired all the time, I probably would have killed myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, um, and so what it did, what, but it really attacked my self-esteem. And I didn't even realize it until afterwards. Like, it took me about a year of just, like, and I, you don't see it in the moment, but bombing all the time, it just really hurt. And I was constantly trying new things. I was constantly, I, I always had the philosophy, I'm not, I'm not, like, going to work on a bit um, that is one of my new bit, like I'm, I was a year in at the time. I'm not going to work on one of these bits forever and refine it because look, everything I, every premise I think of now sucks because they're like Hyundais. I'm not going to throw, I'm not going to pour like $80,000 into a Hyundai. Yeah. You know, and after I had that realization, it was just kind of just the whole paradigm fail faster and I failed faster. I failed harder. And, um, even whenever I, there was a point where I reached a level of competency in up and I was pretty good but then I was like nah I want to be deep and then that made my comedy completely nosedive for a long time and um yeah and so like I was riddled with self-doubt and then after about after I finished my year of doing comedy consecutively and everything like that I realized number one I I wrote out all the things that meant more to me than stand-up mm. uh, yeah um I bombed really bad at dopes me fresh uh, I still that mic no longer exists and I still hate it uh, <laughs> uh by the way we could have an entire we could have an entire show devoted to Mike's that Bill hates in Chicago, <laughs> but I, um, you know, I want to, I want to draw back a little bit because the people listening who don't know Bill from Cora or the scene in Chicago should know that he did stand-up comedy every day for an entire year, and this originally started as a challenge, uh, kind of between the two of us for who could go longer. I started, I started it before he did, and decided I was not gonna, I was gonna do stand-up every day for a month. And then that turned into, you know, 90 days, and then that turned into 100 days, and I and then I, I eventually went for 109 days, but Bill continued and did it every day for an entire year. And I think that's interesting because that, you know, some people, and this is important because this is the lesson that I think I, I took away, and I want to draw this back um, because I want you to talk about the 365 days in a row here, but one of the lessons that I feel like I'm going through right now is learning that, you know, having good hustle is important, but once you have the, you know, the hustle, it doesn't get you everywhere. Mm -hmm. That being able to grind and work very hard is important and it's critical because there are times when you're going to need to go all out and give, you know, a a hundred percent all the time and keep it like a going like a marathon. But what's more important than having that hustle is having that hustle and having some discernment on when and how to use it because simply going straight at the grindstone all the time doesn't always yield exactly what you want it to. Um, and I can talk about that more in a minute, but I think your year and the lessons you took out of it are informed by that because at one point you were like, I'm actually getting worse at doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was getting worse for about six months. Um, and I got, this last year I've gone up way less and I've, I've, um, I've, I'm way better. Um, and this is the thing is, is that, um, number one, what I was subconsciously telling myself with, with, um, with something like stand up, and I think it's very important for people to realize this, and this applies to other art forms, but especially stand up, is that, and there's no, um, anatomically, you're exact, or biologically and physiologically, you're exactly the same now than you, as you will be when you reach the zenith of, when you reach your peak, when you produce your magnus opus, right? Or is it magnus opus? When you're, yeah, your magnum opus. Magnum opus. And um, whenever you do that, you're exactly the same person. So what a lot of learning how to do stand-up is actually defeating yourself. 
and actually believing that you can be funny, <laughs> which is actually very difficult because you have more reference experience that you're not funny than most people should. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and so it's basically this game and like a lot of people... They, they obsess about the hustle component. Now, now this is this is the thing, is they think they, they believe in this narrative that we've been sold that's so great that they can't ignore you. Eventually, that you can become so good through hard work and good effort that eventually people will, will lift you up and ascend you to the, uh, to, to, to the highest ranks of society and you'll have the life that you always dreamed. And that's just not true. Um, it's Even when it looks like it's true, it's not true. Um, it, there, you can break it down to there's an audience that someone gave this person an opportunity. They were hanging out in the right circles. Um, they, they fulfilled a certain niche. Um, there's a multitude of things that I think people need to be hyper aware of beyond being good enough. Like that's kind of like we talked earlier where a lot of guys think that if they make enough money, all their relationship problems will be solved. And it's like, no, that's not the case. Like you can make an exorbitant amount of money and still be very lonely and not even and not have girls like you. Yeah, just having a lot of money doesn't mean you're not an asshole. Yeah, and and and, <laughs> and, and, and to combine that with this, just because you're really funny doesn't mean that you'll make it. Yeah, just because you're really funny does not mean you're bookable, does not mean you're marketable, does mm-hmm. not mean you're even in the right place. I mean, the funniest comedian in the history of the planet, now, past, or future, could be alive now, but if they live in Anchorage, Alaska nobody is going to book them and they're never going to end up in movies. I mean, if you live in, like, or even worse than Anchorage, Moonbeam, Ontario, or some, you know what I mean, like a blink town that's really in the middle of nowhere, um, Bismarck, North Dakota, or something like this, if you live in the middle of nowhere, you're never going to have the opportunity. It doesn't matter that you're one of the funniest people who's ever lived in the history of the planet. And it's weird because... There's a lot of comedians who operate in Chicago who I even respect who that's their modus operandi. That's their principle if I just keep getting funnier. Well, who determines that you're funnier and when does when is it determined that you're good enough to move on to the next level, whatever that is? Yeah, <clears throat> it basically comes from this... Um, I think this comes actually from slave morality and the fact that um, you, you do not have success because you're unworthy. Or actually the new capitalistic narrative, right? The reason why you haven't had this success is because you're not good enough to have that success. Well, you know what? I, I just think a lot of times, sometimes it's just whether or not you've had the platform for the success, whether and especially with stand up, whether people have been brainwashed. And so, like um, this, so after I did my three hundred something, uh, three hundred sixty seven days of comedy, I um, did a TED talk on it, and um, a lot of the people who had watched me rehearse my TED talk, who gave TED talks as well, when they watched me give my speech, they were blown the fuck away at the actual TED talk, and they were like, "Oh my god, I don't know why I've seen you practice that tons of times, but like." this time it was like different it was so good and the only difference was between then and there was that there were like 200 people watching and uh, 50,000 people getting live streamed my TED talk alright like that that was the difference the social proof so like the thing is sometimes it's about the status well so you're yeah I mean like what we're what you're saying basically is that like the context matters because the context partially creates that the status and um I want to I want to creates the value in your mind yeah well that that level of perception the level of attention helps determine the status and suddenly what you're saying is more important they've done tests for example that show that um and me and you and james i think talked about this where if in a there was a random experiment that basically showed that if something looked like it already had received more attention or praise it was more likely to receive more attention and praise in the future and when these things were randomized and it's too much for me to go into basically at the moment on this platform as an experiment completely different things which were in one environment 
looked like they didn't get any attention or praise, or in another environment looks like they got more, rose and fell simply with the idea that they had already received some attention and praise to begin with. Which goes to show that a certain amount of this is, like, entirely random. And, like, I, I, we talk about this a lot, um, and some Chicago comedians are probably listening, but I absolutely understand that this is the way that bookings and things like this happen in the Chicago community. Some people receive more shows more opportunities to get on stage than other people and there's really no reason for it aside from the fact that they just have already received other things and people who book them or people who see them rationalize it in the opposite direction well they're such a good comedian they're getting all of these shows well they're getting a lot of these shows because they're getting other shows Mm -hmm. and they're not it's not necessarily because they're a, a, a better comedian just and just to walk this back this is a real danger because there's a lot of comedians and and again if you're listening you can extrapolate this to your own situation but there's a lot of comedians who are waiting working as much as they can grinding it out going to mics every almost every day or just about every day trying to get better but the truth is like what is the better what's the demarcation that it's better what's the evidence that it's better you know there are comedians who have done comedians you should know in chicago which is arguably the best show that i've seen who bombed and have not done well and have gone to other shows that I've seen them at and also not done well. And I think, how did, when did they get the okay that it was good to do the, the show? And is that okay even worth anything? Yeah, well, number one, th- this whole thing about caring about getting booked on like shows in Chicago, independent shows, is stupid. Right, because um, like let's take it. You can do every independent show. Well, tell us how you really feel, Bill. Yeah, no, it is. It's uh, you, you. Let's say you do. Oh, let's. I do. I've done every independent show there is in Chicago twenty times. You're still not gonna be famous. So that's one of the things where I think I say I don't worry about things that are the are the symptoms of success. I worry about what actually causes the success, which is developing an audience in stand up. Audience honestly trumps whether or not you're funny because your audience will get your humor probably regardless, and you can sell tickets. Um, then also you look more important. Other people are going to want to do projects with you because you have more perceived status. There's definitely a being good component and a skill-based component, but that actually just grows over time, Um, and you just need to let yourself become that and just keep working on your craft. But that's not not what's going to pay your bills. That's not what's going to basically be the thing that's going to be the bridge between who you are now and the career that you want in the future. Um, Having a bunch of people... Um, and surrounding yourself with people who can make sentences that can change your life, right? Like, like for example, like James and I, are, I've worked on this pilot and like, you know, we're sending out to a bunch of people and everything like that. But the thing is, is like James wanting to work on this pilot with me could, and this pilot getting picked up could change my life. That's a very high value action. So I'm going to worry about my relationship with James probably more than I, I should worry about my relationship with a, like a, a Bobby Butt. Right. Yeah. Like, there's nobody. There, there's very few people, or if I would dare say, nobody really in the Chicago scene, comic-wise, who can say a sentence that could change your life. Right. And that's something that you need to be constantly aware of. It's like, where can I get in rooms where people can can orchestrate words, where some they can do something life-changing for me, and it not be a big deal for them. Hang, we, I yeah. said this before to to uh, Brendan. I said, you know what's crazy about meeting Ray Dalio is Ray could. It's easier for Ray to give us $500,000 for a creative project than it would be for me to give somebody five minutes of time for the show I run on the Laugh Factory. And, I, like, that's insane. But yeah, it's complete, that's nuts. But it's completely true. And he's not going to give us that. But the thing is, I work in the realms of possibilities, right? And I look at how are things more possible. I look at, basically, I chase a direction. One of the things I liked what Ray talked about was he, like, talks about the pull 
for me, I focus on the direction and then how many opportunities are from those um, can exist from those. And if I think those things to their best conclusion, where will I be? Mm-hmm. You're um yeah. I think that that's important. That there's a um there's a saying that I really like by Steve Martin, which is uh when opportunity uh comes for you, you have to be within pointing distance. Mm-hmm. And I think that that. That when I heard it, I went, man, this is so. That is something that's really missing, and it's missing, really, from I think my life in Chicago, to be perfectly honest. But you know, you listening to this podcast, I think it's meaningful for you to take a look at your own circumstance and say, where, what, where's the direction or the, where do I eventually want to go with this, whatever I'm doing, and how do I get there, and am I able to be pointed at for where I am currently? That there's a you know there's the the, the gap between you and where you want to go is at best a few degrees of separation from a handful of people. Like I mean I won't we're not gonna throw out names and stuff, but Bill and I are both on somebody's phone who also has DMX's phone number. <laughs> yeah, that happened today. And, yeah, and one of the things you come to realize is association is one of the strongest indicators of status. So to me, like I like to me, I I I sound very unlikable in these things because number one, I am, but <laughs> but number two is because I I'm I'm hyper analytical when it comes down to this stuff. And if if you want to take a look at anything, it really comes down to status dynamics. Even your ideas and goals and dreams of who you could be come down to status and acceptance by society. And um, Alan De Baton or Baton, um, yeah. he talks about that um, status and anxiety is one of the re- biggest reasons of why we have so much depression in the modern day, is because we're our st- status is so fragile now. Because it used to be you were born a king, you were king presumably your entire life, or a lord or a peasant. You didn't really worry about where you were or anything like that. But now you can actually move up. Right, and you're hyper aware of all these other people, and even if you have massive amounts of opulence, like we were talking to you on this phone, that's a ma- like kings would have traded their kingdoms for an iPhone. Yeah, it's true. And 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 so, but the thing is, it doesn't mean anything because it's re- all relative, right? And so, what we're pursuing is this this acceptance by society. There's two things people want: they want acceptance through romantic love, and they want acceptance by society. And those are those two things drive them very. They're very strong drives, right? One drives you biologically, and the other drives this species right and so it's not to so but like to kind of back what i was saying before is acquiring status or finding a way to get around high status individuals is one of the easiest ways to radically change your life in ways that you cannot perceive possible because the thing is what is a huge life-changing event for you might not be a big deal for them which could make you literally progress in leapfrogs like leap jump with frog jumps yeah I mean, think about we were talking about. I mean, we were talking about this before, but like I just said, it mentioned CYSK or or Zanies or any of these places that are really valuable in Chicago. Like Bill in New York knows a whole lot of these guys who have gone and done these shows now, who doing something for them, going and doing the show in Chicago was like nothing, but for goodness, but for somebody in Chicago, it's like a almost. That would be a life-changing event, and it's because the, as you described it, status arbitrage at the time, but the idea is that there are different ways to leverage yourself upwardly through whatever ladder you're trying to get through, and it's important, I think, to take the the lens out far enough, which is basically what, what, what Ray Dalio himself talks about, to see that, look, I mean, if you're trying to advance, let's say, in stand-up or in programming or in whatever field you're in, there's a direct ladder 
there's a direct ladder and that ladder can be very small but if you leverage yourself outside of that ladder into other spheres that overlap with that ladder you can make radical changes very quickly by going up upwards and out of it um to higher circles so an example is you know and i don't want to give away the game necessarily but bill's been able to make some very large um advances in his sort of uh, career as an entertainer you know in front of people in in new york that would not have been possible in chicago um simply by going outside of the normal circle of stand-up comedy in order to leverage his way back into it and one of the things that we talked about before somebody says like well hold on a second you know it's supposed to be a meritocracy people get so much um talent and then they improve their skills and then they go upwards well what we've begun to learn and i said this when i was talking about grind earlier is that at a certain level talent is the barrier to entry Mm -hmm. nobody gets stage time if they can't do the job nobody gets put up to to the plate if they can't hit a baseball you have to be able to do that in order to get there but once you're there there's so many people that are interchangeable. What's the difference that allowed you to get to the plate? You yeah. know, and um, I love how you brought that up. Thank you. And also, like for example, one of the things that blew a lot of people's minds in Chicago was I was on this very popular podcast, Race Wars. I was, I've been on it three times, and that just came from hanging out at a comedy club rather than going to mics all the time. Every day, I would hang out at Stand Up New York and see who I'd meet. And what the thing is is like, even though the people who saw you show up knew that you weren't on the show, people would assume that you would have been on a show later or whatever like that. So they assumed that I was important by the context in which I had been met. And then through association, I got opportunities. And also, one of the things that um, I would say is this, is that um, there's, so there's dominance hierarchies in everything. Um, and one of the things that's the most powerful thing you can do for your behavior is to actually not be part of a dominance hierarchy. Because your brain regulates between hormones how much how much how alpha or testosterone like how 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 confident you can be in that situation based on your perceived status in that situation right so if, if you're in the open mic circuit and you're like oh like this is a really big deal and then the, the these comics who are a big deal walked in all of a sudden you're you're releasing like cortisol <clears throat> and um regulating heavily your amount of testosterone output and so now you're less funny not because you're less funny but because you're you know where you line up in this open mic dominance hierarchy yeah you're gun shy you're gun shy and where if you're outside the hierarchy is you have no problem being yourself because you don't give a fuck about any of these people right and that's one of the things that really started to help me progress it's like dude like i don't care about any of these people and when you reach that when you don't care about their opinion because you know like deep down inside like look they're, they're not going to do anything for me either way i just want to get my stuff done then you can focus on yourself and you can focus on the sharing and this is almost probably exclusively for stand-up but in most situations if you if you do not buy in to their frame or their dominance hierarchy you have the most power Right, so if you then this comes down to having your own principles and values. I think um, was one of the strengths. Like one of my values that I've discovered recently is I value my own freedom even over the preferred result. So my freedom of behavior matters more to me than trying to manipulate the situation to get what I want. To to talk about that a little more, that's interesting. So basically. This happened. So I have a long history in game. I've written. I used to be a writer on this website called Girls Chase. Um, and you know, I've I've, I've instructed, uh, uh, help people out. I've coached people in game. 
um, which sucks with women. And I had a lot of tactics and things, and I kept hitting this brick wall. And Brendan was the actually showed me the errors in my ways. Basically, I wasn't coming from a form of integrity, even though I felt like I was, because I was constantly trying to control the situation, which did have a certain level of success, but kept me from having real like real like real relationships with people or real connections with people because I was coming from this perspective of let me try to manipulate the system to get the as most I can out of it now I've shifted over to the freedom frame where it's like I just do things because I don't text somebody because like oh this would be the right time to text them or whatever I just text them or message them because like look that's something I wanted to do if it works out it works out if it doesn't it doesn't but I'm I, I value my freedom for action more than trying to get what I want and in the end I think that's what a lot of us want is the freedom of action that I think in and most people want to be validated for acting freely. And that's why when most people want to be famous is because famous people can post anything and be heavily validated for it. That's why I want to be famous. And um, But the thing is, is you can already act freely now. you know. And I think it's, it's important to take advantage of that. Well, this is very interesting because this is similar to what you just described where you said don't fall into a dominance hierarchy. Because you're almost, in a weird way, falling into your own dominance hierarchy. Uh when you you're falling into somebody else's dominance hierarchy or you're you're tacitly joining a dominance hierarchy when you don't follow the thing that you want to do because of whatever insert reason here um i find that very fascinating because uh basically you um you basically you're you're not you're holding back your behavior for some reason that isn't something you have decided upon through your own act of volition. Mm -hmm. You're trying to do something right, which implies that you're trying to fit through someone else's frame. And I think part of the reason mm -hmm. that causes so much anxiety is because you don't know the frame you're trying to fit through necessarily. Especially, I think guys run into this problem with women a lot because you're trying to figure out what she wants, but you don't know what she wants. So you're trying to fit your peg through your whatever you don't know the shape of the hole yet if that makes any sense mm -hmm. and that causes a ton of anxiety i know we're getting a little off topic but it's something I mean, that I mean, bill and i nerd out about a lot i think number one i i really think that's important and also living your life through somebody else's expectations is actually you should never put yourself second even in your own mind and because that has just that's because basically you're telling yourself that you're not enough that my freedom of action won't be enough and I think that is the root. So one of the things that Brendan and I've been talking about, or I've been bringing up with Brendan, is is that like there's a, it, you, and this goes back to the grind thing. Is everybody acts like everything needs to be a push when you can just allow yourself to do things. Yeah, and the the way that Ray Dalio talked about this today was as a pull that you were pull. He was pulled toward something, and I think that it's strange because when we thought about it, we had a lot of effort that went into. You know things we wanted to do this year through probably the first four to five months and um, although we did have some development in that time the more development that we've had have been post that period of time when we've more just kind of coasted through doing the things that we really wanted to do and you know one of the reasons I when we talked about it earlier was I was sort of realizing that all the opportunities that I've taken advantage of that have worked out for me have always been ones in which I, even though I wanted a situation to occur, I had kind of let go of the wheel, so to speak, and I was like, maybe it'll happen and maybe it won't. I'm gonna, tr I'm gonna work like I'm gonna make it happen, but I'm detached from whether or not it, like, 
I'm not going to force it. Exactly. Well, this is the thing. And the thing is, when you let go of the thing, you can actually commit way harder because you're not emotionally invested. You're not protecting your emotions. Um, th- that's one of the biggest things is because a lot of times what, when we do choose to act like that is actually keeping people at a distance or keeping ourselves at a distance from the event and that's why we're trying to act so tactically rather if we just were like dude I'm going balls in and whatever happens happens you know then you can actually do it free of worrying about harm for your emotions yeah you're the this is a similar concept to sort of Ryan Holiday's the ego is the enemy I think like there's an idea that there there's an idea that the there's a your you your your prevent you can prevent your your ego can prevent you from making the decisions you need to make because it's trying to protect you from something. Mm-hmm. And when you are able to let go of that and make the decisions you need to make because you are outcome independent, you can progress a lot faster and you can be more open to hearing feedback or accepting feedback from reality as it's happening as well. You're not trying to manage impression managed for your sense of self yeah um this whole thing of you one of the biggest things i tell myself whenever is like you are enough and i think that's basically it number one beyond beyond needing food to eat you don't need anything any of this stuff you want it but you don't need it to be who you are you know and it doesn't complete you right that's not what you're put on this planet to do you're enough you want the biological this is your everything existence is so inconceivably rare and just take a moment to appreciate that sometimes and not even in that that woo woo thing but it helps you be like look this doesn't really matter let me commit really hard to doing this because like what 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 else you know rather than i need this like i need like one of the things that happened on my when i was doing 367 i needed the laughs dude i needed it i fucking needed it and it was it was no one wanted to laugh because no one wants to give someone who fucking needs it right well because it feels uncomfortable yep like it feels uncomfortable for the audience because it feels uncomfortable for you as the performer you're trying to pull something out of them yep you're not trying to share with them. you're not sharing something with them and you're not creating a real moment you're you're just trying to go like look i need you to like this i've I've been doing this for 300 days yeah (laughs) i need you to i need you to validate some part of me it's the same thing that guys do with girls right it's like i need her because i need to know that i'm attractive i need to know that i'm valuable you know it's like dude like that's so much dude just share experience and like one of the things i um my friend tulha he texted me this we had watched her together because you know we were gay together her (laughs) in the movie (laughs) yeah her yeah we didn't want to just walk watch a girl yeah i was like what the i i just wanted to make clear i knew what you were saying it hasn't been out for a while there's a lot of people who are in the the, probably in india listening to this being like they would just watch girls together (laughs) yeah i know and um he he texted me the next day he was like one of the quotes i really enjoyed from the movie was carla johansson was like when you um a character in the movie was uh um when you your your ability to love isn't limited it can only just it grows the more you love and I really do believe that. And this is the thing. I was thinking about this premise of like, have you ever loved somebody so much that um, you can't distinguish whether it's it's that you want nothing but the best for them or you're so afraid of what you'll do without them? And where, it's, where love turns into fear of a reality where you exist and they don't in your life. And um, it's, it's, it's like kind of a scary thing. But if you can just push past that and just be like, look, I think love needs to be met with appreciation. 
and i think appreciation is also what's helped me get through a lot of stuff is just appreciating as much as i can as quickly as possible because sometimes it's hard to appreciate something painful but um kind of like ray said it's just, i not i don't always look for the lesson but i do look to try and appreciate it as soon as possible and i think comedy does that because you're able to transmute like um suffering into laughter well i think you're not only allowed you're not only able to transmute suffering into laughter but you're also able to especially when you have a goal like you did of going up for 365 days and you went up for 367 i think that you have to learn you're forced due to the circumstance to have to find something to appreciate about what is otherwise an absolutely miserable experience mm -hmm. And, you know, I did the same thing with game. And, uh -huh. um, again, my Quora readers will understand that I used to be really terrible with people. And a lot of people now say I'm the best person they know with other people. All those people are Brendan inside his own mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they also are accurate. <laughs> Frame control. Uh -huh. <laughs> Frame wars. <laughs> Frame wars. <laughs> this fall on CBS. Um, yeah, no, a lot of people say, hey, you're the best person I know with other people. Um, and I... I, I appreciate that, but I also, it was hard, one, in the sense that I used to be really terrible, and more than one time I've had to apologize to an entire room full of people for some dumb shit that I said, um, and being totally forthright about that. Literally, like, three times I've had to do that. And um, and I've also hurt people who were close to me because I've done dumb things that I wasn't thinking about in the moment, and mostly through just awkwardness or sharing feelings that maybe weren't appropriate um, and I've just had to learn those lessons. Uh, where was I going with this? Where I was going with this was when you're trying to get better with others, with people, with social skills, you have to practice. And sometimes that practice is just painful and awkward and uncomfortable. And what you have to do, and I learned, and I've taken this to mixed martial arts now, and I've taken this to stand-up comedy now, is that you have to just start appreciating things that you can control and do and finding things that you love and appreciate about them. So going out you know, trying to pick up girls or something like this in college and afterwards, I just began to appreciate, I'm just with myself tonight and I'm going out and I'm just going to be social and I'm just going to feel my body in a social environment and be outcome independent. And if I go home and didn't talk to one person, that's okay tonight. And eventually you start pushing that boundary and challenging yourself once you're comfortable and that's in a place of play. And the same thing is true with stand-up. And I would say probably if there's anything you want to do in your life, there's probably... The same thing is true with that, which is once you find the comfortable space, you can play and then you can challenge yourself to go to the next level. Dude, I totally agree with a lot of that stuff. I want to just circle back to something that you said about like expressing feelings that that were um, expressing feelings, dude, uh, expressing feelings that um, um, what's it called? Don't feel were what was the line you put feelings that were too much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like uh, yeah, ex ex feelings that were just overwhelming or. Well, well, so this is the thing is I don't think so. Here, here's the thing. I don't think that you one of the biggest things that I think has helped me grow a lot. And this is kind of distance from the point, but it's helped me grow a lot. And I wish I'd learned this earlier is that you can feel incredibly strongly for somebody and them not feel anything for you and that be OK. Yeah. Then that, that does not invalidate your experience at all as a person. And you can appreciate the fact that you have strong feelings for somebody as their own feelings. Mm -hmm. And you can and you can you can appreciate yourself for 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 seeing those things in another person and appreciating them and not having them reciprocated you can also go wow that's sad and just be okay with that mm -hmm. and, and it's okay it's okay for the sadness but like a lot of times what ends up really hurting a lot of people and this is that they think that their feeling should be evidence of something more than their feeling yeah 
um, and that's passed on by 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 Hollywood narrative and whatnot. But like, really, your feelings are just evidence that you're feeling or that um, of, or your attachment, um, and that's okay. But like, you can't use it as a predictive tool. You can't be like, oh, because I feel so strongly about stand up that I'm destined to be famous. Yeah, you know, I or I can't use. I feel so strongly for this girl. We're destined to be together because um, then then you you're you're miss you're misusing what feelings are. And actually, if you scrape beneath the surface, you would realize that it's not even about them or it's not even about stand up. One of the biggest realizations I had that helped me with stand up was that I just want to be famous. Yeah, and that that's it. And whenever I started just saying it blatantly, and it sounds so fucking taboo and whatever, but like, hey, dude, like I can admit it. I well, I want to be famous. I want to know that it's like I was a loser for um in middle school and for a little bit of um, like half of high school, and that's when my identity solidified. So in my mind, I'm always gonna be a loser unless I'm famous. So, <laughs> and that might sound sad, but at least I know where it's coming from, and at least I know what I'm trying to get from stand up, right? I'm not just trying to go on the road and 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 do clubs, very struggle to live. I want to be wealthy and I want to have high status um, yeah you have a straight idea of where you're going with it yeah and this is the thing is your straight idea of what you actually might want might not sound humble and it might not sound nice and don't just don't 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 create a shadow self about around humility right a lot of people are they, they lie to themselves because they're trying to be humble to themselves but the, it's, it's not true they want something bigger and, yeah I would say it's better to be honest than it is to be humble because that is impression there's an impression management there because I think that, that that's part of it is and you're, you're egotistically, someone could be conceivably egotistically presenting a humble or modest version of themselves uh, disingenuously, not only to themselves, but also to the world. And that's a wolf in sheep's clothing, basically. And it's, I think, better to be honest about it. I think it's better to be someone who has a sense of... Uh, a, 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 modest sense of self through a realistic recognition of how they are in the world i think that's maybe even the better one but don't pretend to have that if you don't have it because you're ambitious or you're and you want things and i don't think like and, and i want to be clear about what i'm saying here because i think it was a big deal for you personally to admit not only to yourself but to the even the people you lo- know and care about in your life the comedians you like who are you surround yourself with that you want to be famous, you're not going to make any apologies for it. No. Because, in just to be clear to everybody listening who's not from Chicago, I think the Chicago stand-up scene shits on people who are legitimately ambitious. No. You have to pretend like you're... Blase. Yes. And I think it does do a disservice to the people in the scene who are not only ambitious, but the people in the scene who are not ambitious. Because they are being coddled in an environment that feels inauthentic for those exact reasons well this is the thing is because everybody doesn't believe it can be them and so that they make up this narrative of that they don't even want it and it's about this craft or they they they, it's just something that sounds more sexy and 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 prudent and um um, and and more um puritan you know it's just like look dude like at the end of the day i want to be famous i want to have money i want to do this be honest with yourself and honestly i'm gonna say this Humbleness, dude, is not something you say. It's a, it's a, it's an action. There's honest signals of, uh, honest signal is something that cannot be faked. Yep. Right. And you want to know how I can tell if somebody's actually humble is whenever you can roast them and they don't care. They can laugh with. That's exact. I'm really glad you said that, Bill. I think that's a good place to end this on, actually, um, because I think that's true. And one of the things that you and I do is is roast each other all the time. You need it. You absolutely need to get roasted. You absolutely need it because, or else your ego gets out of control and it gets very sensitive. Yeah, it's true. 
And um, I think we'll I think we'll end it there today. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, when Bill comes into Chicago, he's going to be staying at my place, and we might have a version 2.0 of this. Uh, otherwise, be well, and the madness continues. Peace.